48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. Some of the city's coronavirus restrictions are to be eased this week. Carrie Lam says health experts who oppose the citywide testing plan are just trying to smear Beijing. And a court denies bail to the first person charged under the national security law. The government has announced that it will ease some coronavirus restrictions from Friday. Now the daily number of new infections has come down. People will be able to eat in restaurants again in the evenings. And some places that have been closed for weeks, such as cinemas, can reopen. Timmy Sung reports. Strict social distancing measures have been in place since the end of last month when the city saw a sharp spike in the number of coronavirus infections with more than 100 cases per day. But the numbers have since tumbled. Health Secretary Sophia Chen says although the outbreaks are not fully under control, it's time to relax some of the rules as long as there's no dramatic change in the situation. From Friday, restaurants can allow customers to eat inside until 9pm instead of 6, but there will still be a two-person limit for each table. Professor Chen says they are trying to strike the right balance. Why 9pm and not 10 and not 11? I think it is uh, because we want to shorten uh, the time of uh, people having mass off activities. Meanwhile, some places that are currently closed, including cinemas, beauty parlours and some outdoor sports venues, can reopen. But restrictions such as a ban on food and drinks at cinemas will remain. People doing strenuous exercise outdoors will be able to ditch their face masks from Friday, as well as anyone visiting a country park. The president of the Federation of Restaurants, Simon Wong, has welcomed the government's announcement. He says although it would be better for the relaxation of dining rules to begin tomorrow, he understands officials' caution. Mr Wong says fast food chains and smaller restaurants will benefit the most. Consider that you know each customer would uh, spend about an hour even in the cha chan tang or uh, 30 minutes in a fast food outlet, and uh, they can do a lot more business. And I also forecast that even with the three hour uh, extension, uh, the business in the evening would uh, grow by about uh, 30%. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has strongly criticised health experts who have questioned whether there's any point to citywide coronavirus testing, saying their comments on the matter are politically motivated and they're just attacking the central government. Wendy Wong reports. Concerns raised about the testing, which is due to begin next Tuesday, range from doubts it will find many COVID-19 carriers to fears people will end up getting infected while they're actually doing the tests. Some of the city's top health experts have weighed in on the debate. But Mrs Lam says she can't think of any reason why they would pour cold water on the plan other than they want to smear the central government, which has sent personnel to help run the exercise. She says some people just want to damage the relationship between Beijing and Hong Kong. I will make a strong plea that well-known people, especially in the relevant professional areas, should really um, express their view in a more responsible way. Uh, Since this is about public health, let's focus on public health. The CE also says the infection risks associated with the testing arrangements will be lower than those posed by the electrical elections until she scrapped them. But she says it's inappropriate and unreasonable to compare the two. The High Court has refused to grant bail to the first person charged under the new national security law. 
The judge said the bail conditions specified under the new law didn't affect his decision and he would have come to the same conclusion under normal procedures anyway. Maggie Ho reports. Tong Ying Kid is facing charges of terrorism and inciting secession over accusations that he had rode his motorcycle into a group of police officers while carrying a flag bearing the slogan Liberate Hong Kong during a protest on July the 1st. A magistrate had last month ruled against freeing him on bail ahead of his trial and last week a separate legal bid to free him on the grounds that he was being unlawfully detained was rejected by the High Court. Now, High Court Judge Alex Alex Lee has again ruled against granting the defendant bail. Part of his decision was rejected, but in a written judgment, Mr. Justice Lee said he had taken into account the risk of Mr. Tong absconding, as well as the risk that he would commit new offences if granted bail. You're listening to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past eleven. Police say a member of staff at the U.S. consulate has been taken to Queen Mary Hospital after he was attacked by a man near the building on Garden Road in Central. The 44-year-old is believed to have suffered a minor injury to his forehead. The consulate says its worker was attacked by a stranger and it can't speculate as to what the motive was. Police say they've arrested two people on suspicion of harassing the mother of a teenage girl whose body was found in the sea off Yao Tong last September. The alleged incident is said to have taken place yesterday outside a court where an inquest is being held into the death of 15-year-old Chanyin Lam. Police say the teenager killed herself, but rumours have persisted that her death was linked to the anti-government protests. One of the two people arrested on suspicion of disorder in a public place is a student who is known for holding one-man protests. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has rejected suggestions that political reasons were behind the Justice Secretary's move to halt two private prosecutions related to anti-government protests. Mrs Lam says anybody making such an allegation is disrespecting the judiciary. Francis Sitt reports. The courts had agreed to hear cases brought by Democratic Party legislator Ted Ho against a policeman who shot and injured a student protester last year and a taxi driver whose vehicle smashed into a group of demonstrators. But before the two defendants could be brought to court, Justice Secretary Theresa Chang took over the cases and then dropped them, saying there was insufficient evidence. Before this week's Executive Council meeting, the CE was asked whether the interventions were politically motivated. Prosecution matters or any legal matters under the Department of Justice are the purview of the Secretary for Justice. But to um, a sort of allege that the Secretary for Justice is doing political intervention is totally unfair and inappropriate because by so doing, you are also casting doubt and disrespect on Hong Kong's judiciary system. The legal scholar Eric Zhang from the University of Hong Kong says if anything is harming public confidence in the judicial system, it's Theresa Chang's interventions. He says people will have a hard time believing the prosecutions were dropped due to insufficient evidence when the Department of Justice did not follow convention and seek outside legal opinion on such sensitive cases. Justice must not only be done, but must be manifestly be seen to be done. So it's very important for the public to have confidence that the decision is purely based on evidence, but not based on political consideration. But here we cannot see that the Department of Justice have followed the due process in seeking independent legal opinion. And also there's no sufficient explanation as 
to why they consider there is insufficient evidence. Mr Chan said it would be very difficult for a judicial review over the matter to succeed, as the courts would only intervene in a Department of Justice decision in exceptional circumstances. He says even if a challenge was successful, the court would only ask the department to reconsider its stance. Exiled Hong Kong activist Nathan Law has warned Western countries to be very cautious in their dealings with Beijing. He was speaking to reporters in Rome ahead of a meeting there between Foreign Minister Wang Yi and his Italian counterpart. The two ministers were expected to discuss Italy's rollout of 5G technology. Mr Law said Chinese businesses like Huawei pose a threat to the West and countries should be wary of what is the most powerful authoritarian regime in the world. The second largest economy in the world, the most powerful authoritarian regime in the world, is posing threats to democracies, including using measures of infiltration, including using the influence of their state enterprise, like Huawei, to uh, have a lot of, well, spying or, well, information transfer, and so on and so forth. Meanwhile, in apparent reference to escalating tensions between China and the United States, Mr Wang said in Rome that the world must avoid a new Cold War. He said this would be a step backwards, and Beijing won't let countries do this to further their own interests while damaging those of others. Hong Kong has recorded 19 new coronavirus infections today, of which 16 were locally transmitted. Another 20 people have tested preliminary positive. Among them are five residents of the Hong Chi Lei Mukshu Hostel for People with Intellectual Disabilities, where a small outbreak was reported several days ago. Dr Chuang Shuk Huan from the Centre for Health Protection was asked where these residents got the virus from. The ultimate source of this outbreak is difficult to be ascertained, but according to um, our preliminary information from the residents, most of them, uh, I'm not sure whether all of them, did not go out since um, July. So um, it's possible that maybe the uh, caretakers who, who go out and may have introduced the infection to the care home. Meanwhile, a 71-year-old coronavirus patient has died at Eastern Nethersole Hospital. The man's death is the 78th linked to the pandemic in the city. The World Health Organization is warning against rushing to judgment after researchers at the University of Hong Kong confirmed that a local man had been infected with COVID-19 for a second time, suggesting that some patients may lose their immunity within a few months of recovering from the virus. That would undermine the ability of any vaccine to protect people. But the WHO's Dr Maria van Kerkhove says other scientists following coronavirus patients have come to different conclusions. There are a number of studies underway following the same individuals over time. These are called longitudinal studies. From the longitudinal studies that are underway, not all of them are published yet, we do see a strong antibody response that stays, that stays at that same level. This year's book fair, which was called off because of an upsurge in COVID-19 cases last month, has now been slated to begin on December the 16th. Organiser the Trade Development Council says an assessment of the COVID-19 situation will take place in mid-November, with a final decision on whether to go ahead set for December the 9th. The Immigration Department says it's worked with Guangdong authorities to smash a gang that trafficked people from the mainland by speedboat to work as prostitutes or on construction sites in Hong Kong. 104 people have been arrested. Officers say they've seen an uptick in the number of people being trafficked to Hong Kong since border restrictions were increased due to COVID-19. 
Emergency teams have rescued 60 people from the rubble of a residential building that collapsed in the town of Mahad in the West Indian state of Maharashtra. Two people have been confirmed dead. From Mumbai, the BBC's Yogita Lamaye reports. Rescuers have worked overnight digging through a huge pile of tin sheets, bricks, mud and metal rods to reach people who were trapped underneath. Operations continue to try to pull survivors from the wreckage. Local policemen and residents have also been aiding the efforts. Authorities say there were around 45 flats in the five-story residential building which has been completely destroyed. The collapse occurred in Mahad, an industrial town about 100 miles south of Mumbai. It's unclear yet what might have caused it. Schools in the South Korean capital Seoul and the surrounding area have been ordered to switch to online classes as the authorities try to tackle an increase in coronavirus cases. From there, the BBC's Laura Vicker reports. All schools and kindergartens in the greater Seoul area, home to over 25 million people, will now be online, with the exception of those in their final year of high school who are due to take crucial university entrance exams in December. 280 new COVID-19 cases were reported in the last 24 hours. Low in global terms, but it's the 12th day of triple-digit increases in a country used to case numbers below 30. The infection clusters are mostly linked to a number of far-right Protestant churches whose members took part in a mass rally in Seoul just over a week ago. As the mainland enters a third month of devastating flooding, it's grappling with catastrophic damage across central and southwest provinces. 63 million people have been affected and 15 million acres of farmland destroyed. Stephen Lee Myers is the Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. The level of damage uh, is is so extensive. It covers such a large uh, area of of south. Uh, west and 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 uh, eastern China. I mean, the Yangtze River, which is uh, has flooding every year uh, to some extent, um, has seen uh, some of the worst flooding really uh, since 1949. It hasn't killed as many people, uh, of course, as uh, the coronavirus did, um, but it has killed at least 200. Um, they've just been hit by one storm after another. The Yangtze's flooded uh, at least five times uh, already this summer. Um, um, and that has, as you pointed out, um, affected 63 million people. So the, the numbers are quite staggering. Um, and I think the fact that it comes right after, um, you know, the economic hardship of the coronavirus uh, is what has compounded the crisis. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Some of the city's coronavirus restrictions are to be eased this week. Carrie Lamb says health experts who oppose the citywide testing plan are just trying to smear Beijing. And a court denies bail to the first person charged under the national security law. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. Facebook has blocked access in Thailand to a million-member group discussing the monarchy after the Thai government threatened legal action. The firm told the BBC it was preparing its own legal action to respond to the pressure from Bangkok. Thailand is seeing a wave of anti-government protests which have included unprecedented calls for reforms to the monarchy. Criticism of the monarchy is illegal in Thailand. Access from within Thailand to the Royalist Marketplace Group was blocked on Monday evening. 
The page can still be accessed from outside the country. Earlier, I spoke to our Bangkok correspondent, Larry Jagan. I asked him to tell me about the Facebook group. The Facebook group, a Royal Marketplace, was set up in April by uh, Professor Pavin, who's in exile in Japan, where he, he teaches. He, he's been a critic of the monarchy for some time, and also particularly the military regime. Essentially, what Pavin believes is that his Facebook page, uh, the Royal Marketplace, actually is, is, a ser- is a place for serious debate about the future of Thai society and particularly the monarchy and and it looks at a number of, of ways in which the monarchy could be reformed uh, not all those who participate in the, in the website are actually calling for the abolition uh, of, the, of the monarchy in fact most of them are talking about the need to make constitutional monarchy of Thailand more consistent with the 21st century Now, the Royalist or the Royal Marketplace group is uh, followed by more than one million members. uh, So that uh, points to its massive popularity, is what uh, Pavin told the BBC. But um, is a million big in Thailand? It is quite big, given uh, it's a political group. Obviously, for certain things, uh, a million would be fairly small for uh, social media. But but it is it is actually quite enormous. What's interesting is that uh, after it was blocked, Pavin actually set up a new account uh, on Monday, and and within 24 hours had 400,000 subscribers. Uh, it, it it does actually reflect. Uh, a change of mood within Thailand about discussing the monarchy and wanting to feel free to discuss all sorts of options, given that there are fairly draconian laws in Thailand uh, that prohibit any kind of criticism of the monarchy. Now, it's interesting with Facebook just being told what to do. What does this mean for, you know, Facebook and and Thailand laws? Well, there's no doubt that Facebook is in a difficult position. It has to comply uh, with uh, the Thai laws. Um, In fact, the the court uh, on the 10th of August had taken out a case against Facebook, and as it was was coming up to the deadline for them to actually adhere to uh, this decision by the courts, which are essentially controlled by government and, and, and the military, they've voluntarily put uh, um, a sign on on their page that they have been instructed to uh, withdraw access to it within Thailand. It is available outside Thailand, uh, but that they are actually going to appeal the crackdown on them. Uh, They say requests like this are severe, contravene international human rights law and have a chilling effect on people's ability to to express themselves. Uh, This was in a statement put out by the Facebook spokesperson. And they are saying they are going to defend the rights of all internet internet users and are preparing a legal challenge to this request. Um, I think that within Thailand, social media is enormous. the, The kind of usage of social media for instance, in Bangkok, uh, per head of population is much greater than in almost any other country. Um, it, it is massive. And, th- and that has been where the debate and discussion about the monarchy has taken place uh, in, in, since the beginning of this year. Um, but they also understand that social media and particularly Facebook um, have to be, are obliged to follow the government regulations. And so I don't, I don't think that... Uh, uh, 
in Thailand they're going to feel uh, any animosity towards Facebook. Um, but they will be hoping that, that Facebook goes ahead with its um, suggestion uh, or promise that it's going to challenge this legally uh, in the Thai courts. And, of course, we'll be hoping uh, that it's a successful challenge. A survey by human resources consultancy ECA International suggests that on average expats in Hong Kong saw a 1% pay rise over the past year. The company's Asia Regional Director, Lee Quain, says Hong Kong is one of the few cities in the world where expat, expat packages went up. But he told Candice Wong it's unlikely to be repeated this year. The main reason contributing to pay rises for expatriates last year were... Just a general increase in salaries. One other thing to bear in mind with this is that while expatriate salaries saw an increase in Hong Kong, that rate of increase of 1.2% was much lower in previous years. And it's also lower than the rate of increase which was offered to locally employed staff in Hong Kong. Is it kind of remarkable that Hong Kong is one of the few locations around the world to see a pay rise for expatriates? It is slightly remarkable, um, although the rate of increase was still relatively low. 1.2% is not not really too significant. What is also important to bear in mind is um, how this plays out in the context of the current um, situation. So while we saw an increase in salaries of 1.2% in 2019, um, based on our initial research um, for the, the current year, um, we haven't yet completed that research. Um, we expect salaries in Hong Kong as well as other locations for expatriates to either remain flat or even fall in 2020. Um, owing to the current um, global economic situation brought about by the coronavirus pandemic. US President Donald Trump has warned his fellow Republicans their opponents may steal November's election as he got his party's nomination at the Republican National Convention. The convention kicked off as opinion polls suggest he currently trails Democratic challenger Joe Biden. Addressing delegates at a party conference that has been dramatically scaled back by COVID-19, Mr Trump accused Democrats of using COVID to steal an election. The BBC's Nick Bryant has this report. It's time to deliver a victory for the American people. It's tempting to view the Trump years as a presidency that primarily plays out on Twitter. But it's television that's always fascinated the former reality TV star. And over four nights of primetime programming, Donald Trump is going to be the star of his own show. These are my friends. These are the incredible workers that helped us so much with the COVID. In this segment, he hosted a group of frontline COVID workers, none of them wearing protective masks, all of them admiring of his handling of the coronavirus. This was a nurse who offered grateful thanks. I am so in awe of your leadership. Well, I'm for the nurses, I'm for the doctors, I'm for everybody. When the China virus invaded our country, we launched the greatest mobilization of American society since World War II. In a country with the biggest COVID death toll in the world, Donald Trump was lavish with praise for his masterly management of the crisis. And the virus was mainly spoken of in the past tense, as if it had gone away. They want to steal your liberty, your freedom. They want to control what you see and think. This was the high decibel speech of the TV personality, Kimberly Guilfoyle. They want 
to enslave you to the weak, dependent, liberal, victim ideology to the point that you will not recognize this country or yourself. And on a night where speaker after speaker condemned cancel culture, political correctness, the radical left and the riots during America's summer of racial protest, a slot was allotted to Mark and Patty McCloskey, a couple that famously brandished guns at Black Lives Matter protesters who marched past their home. President Trump will defend the God-given right of every American to protect their homes and their families. But people of color were also given prominent roles in an attempt to expand Donald Trump's largely white base. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want a cultural revolution. This was Tim Scott, an African-American senator from South Carolina, who spoke of how his family had gone, as he put it, from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. In this land of opportunity, he portrayed Joe Biden as a prisoner of the left. They will turn our country into a socialist utopia and history has taught us that path only leads to pain and misery, especially for hardworking people hoping to rise. America is not a racist country. This was another Republican rising star, Donald Trump's first ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. Joe Biden and the Democrats are still blaming America first. Donald Trump has always put America first. And star billing is being given to the next generation of Trumps. Donald Jr. launching an excoriating attack on the candidate who wants to oust his father from the White House. It's almost like this election is shaping up to be church, work, and school versus rioting, looting, and vandalism. Or, in the words of Biden and the Democrats, peaceful protesting. This was a slick production broadcast in the main from a temple-like auditorium in Washington bedecked with American flags. And along with the Republican red meat came lashings of Trump prime steak. The president was described at one point as the bodyguard of Western civilization and portrayed throughout the evening as the guardian of the American way of life, defending the country from the Democratic radical left. The Republican convention has become the Trump show and night one demonstrated how the party has taken on his personality. It's called Promises Made, Promises Made. When Alexander Lukashenko appeared last weekend in full combat gear and brandishing an assault rifle, the not-so-subtle message was, this is a leader who will do anything to retain power. Despite unprecedented street protests and strikes, Mr. Lukashenko, president of Belarus for 26 years, shows no sign of stepping down. Quite the opposite. He's digging in. The BBC's Steve Rosenberg has been to the town of Soligorsk, 100 miles from Minsk, to see how protesters there are coming under pressure. Outside the courthouse in Soligorsk, Freedom. They've come to support Anatoly Bokun, head of the strike committee at the local potash company. He's on trial, accused of organizing anti-government protests. Inside, Anatoly's friends and workmates take out their wallets and give whatever they can to hire him a last-minute lawyer. It's a display of solidarity. But there is an air of pessimism, a feeling that the strikes in Belarus are failing to force political change. 
One of the strikers, Rahman, tells me that 6,000 potash workers had voted for industrial action in protest at police brutality and a rigged presidential election. But only 40 are still on strike. The others have been scared into returning to work under threat of prosecution. Despite huge street protests and industrial unrest, President Lukashenko is still in power and fighting back by targeting strikes and political opponents. In Minsk yesterday, two senior members of the opposition's Coordination Council were arrested and former minister Pavel Latushko, who's on the council, has been called in for questioning. They want to demotivate us back to the same situation that it was during the last 26 years. But I'm sure the changes which start in Belarus these days, we have no road back. We have only road to the future. Back at the courthouse, sentence delivered, the local hero emerges. What a guy, they chant as strike leader Anatoly Bokul punches the air. He's been found guilty and fined the equivalent of 200 pounds. Anatoly urges people not to desert the cause. If we are few, he says, then we will fail. But some here are losing hope. The security forces are fully on Lukashenko's side. Businessman Ruslan says our peaceful protests are not enough against a dictator. The president's out of control, says Tatiana. We need to find a doctor to examine him. Can he not see that his people hate him? For as long as they can, the protesters of Soligorsk will be trying to make that point very clear. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. This is Dr Thomas Jung. To identify asymptomatic COVID-19 patients in a community for early isolation and treatment, the government is rolling out the Universal Community Testing Programme which offers a one-off free COVID-19 testing service for the public. Throat and nasal swabs will be collected for testing by trained healthcare staff. For the sake of your health and your family, please join this free testing program. Protect yourself and others. Join the Universal Community Testing Program. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to Remember Johnny Pearson and his piano and orchestra.
Johnny Pearson at the piano. Romance of the North Sea, especially for a loyal listener who is not feeling so well today. Mr. Johnny Hartman. A rose must remain with the sun and the rain Or its lovely promise won't come true To each his own To each his own And my own is you What good is a song If the words don't belong And a dream must be a dream for two No good alone To each his own For me there's you If a flame is to grow There must be a glow To open each door There's a key I need you, I know I can't let you go Your touch means too much to me Two lips must insist 